Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Amazing people there that, you know, they were trying to think of like, how do you help a billion people, right? Um, and so just really having that big mindset. And, and I think some of the things that I sort of took away from that was, you know, like, um, what are the what are the global problems that we have right now that some of the people are not even thinking about that I can focus on? Um, and that sort of gives my life that purpose that we talk about. And so after reflection, the two things that I'm sort of combining, the two of my passions is sort of like this migration aspect and also the climate aspect. Those are the profound words of Usman Iftikhar. Usman is the CEO at Catalyzer. Catalyzer is an award-winning pre-accelerator for early-stage startups. They run intensive entrepreneurship programs for high-performing migrant and refugee entrepreneurs, aka migrapreneurs, who want to find success in Australia by building their own tech startup. In 2018, Usman was named Commonwealth Young Person of the Year amongst 1.4 billion young people living in 53 Commonwealth nations. Before this, uh, beyond this rather, I encourage you to peruse his LinkedIn profile in your own time. Usman has been recognised and received a number of accolades for his important and purposeful work. I've been touching base with Usman since about 2017 when I'd launched Humans of Purpose and Purposeful and was thrilled to, to hear that he'd moved to Melbourne so we could catch up in person. His work and mission has always thrilled me in how he's empowering migrants to be agents of business and social progress through a clever social enterprise model. For those of you who don't know, Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered and advertising-free, with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. This week, we welcomed Kynan to our Patreon community as a Human Plus supporter. Thanks for your support, Kynan, and welcome. As always, a big thank you goes out to our Patreon community of supporters, including Clyde, Susie, Carmen, Misha, Jules, Levi, Sue, Tanvir, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will, and now Kynan too. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. This support enables me to keep producing the show and bring you top quality guests each and every week. There are a number of perks on offer, and even more with our new Human Plus tier, which includes bonus opportunities to go behind the scenes of Humans of Purpose, to be part of live episodes, and to be connected directly to our network of guests. To support us, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. Have you subscribed to our periodic e-newsletter, The Purpose? Well, it went out last week and uh, was refreshed with a terrific new format. Make sure you do sign up, hit the link in our show notes to learn more. Usman and Catalyzer also have the First Gens 2.0 Demo Day 2020, presented in partnership with YGAP, coming up on the evening of the 29th of June. So a quick shout out to that event, which uh, sounds really exciting. To learn more, head to the Catalyzer website, and uh, you'll also see a link in our show notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Usman as much as I did. So Usman, I am so happy to have you here. I think we last caught up on the phone about two or three years ago. Um, but you were in Sydney at the time. I've been an admirer of your work at Catalyzer and we had the prospect of doing this over Zoom, but I'm much happier that you're here in person now that you live around the corner. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, we had a chat when you were sort of launching all of this stuff. Um, And so it's really, really exciting to see, you know, like how long this has come as well. Uh, I was just sort of, you know, as a part of this preparation, I was listening to different episodes that you've done 
And just looking at so many different, you know, people that you've interviewed, it's just amazing. So I just also want to say congratulations on all the work you're doing, mate. You're too kind, mate. I mean, it's an honour to have you. I mean, I consider you to be one of the first humans of purpose who I wanted to have on the show. And I'm not sure, I think for some reason I wasn't doing Zoom at the time, but it's so good that you're in Melbourne. And Melbourne Melbourne welcomes you, (laughs) by the way. Thank you. So... um, Let's get into it. I mean, I want to first talk about micro micropreneurship. But before we do that, maybe if you can tell me and the audience a bit about your journey into the space and um, how you came to be running Catalyzer. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, for me, I, I am from Pakistan originally, and I came to Australia in 2013. Um, before coming here, I actually, um, so my, my dad used to be in the army in Pakistan. And so we basically moved around from city to city. So think about me as an internal migrant in Pakistan. Um, and I sort of got used to different cultures and meeting people and so on. Um, and then I sort of did engineering for university, uh, worked in Pakistan, then came here, uh, to do a master's as well, engineering and management at Wollongong Uni. And, and back in 2013, when I did that, um, you know, I was sort of like had these sort of very high hopes that I'm going to get an amazing engineering jobs and like I've, I have a distinction and I've got some work experience and, you know, internships and all the things that you need, you know, uh, but then, you know, you, it's one of those things that life hits you kind of thing. So then I applied for jobs, but wasn't getting anything um, in, you know, in that space that I was looking for. So, you know, in engineering or engineering management. And so I was basically, you know, applying for a lot of jobs, doing casual work at, you know, 7-Eleven, BP, the usual sort of casual work that a lot of migrants do, and was really frustrated by it because, you know, I already did like two degrees, did a bachelor's and a master's, was, you know, thinking about a lot of different things that I wanted to do with my career, but just wasn't finding a way and was super frustrated by it. And I sort of really remember this very vividly where I was actually working for a BP in Albion Park. This is sort of south of uh, Wollongong. And I was, you know, working, doing a night shift. There wasn't much on, really. And, you know, like one of the things that I was tasked with was like basically stacking delivery. As the delivery was coming through, uh, I mean, think about this, like, you know, 2, 3 a.m. at night, you're sitting um, or you're working in one of these stores, you know, you have the fluorescent lights and, you know, all the sort of usual stuff that you have in a, in a BP store. And basically there I was just stacking delivery. And one of the things that I was looking at was um, looking at this, you know, cat food and dog food and things like that. And one of the interesting things that I basically was noticing was, hey, well, why do we have chicken in cat food or dog food, right? Now this sounds (laughs) really, really random, I really can't wait to see where you take this. I'm like utterly enthralled. So chicken, and I was like, why do we have chicken in in cat food, right? Um, And and the reason why, and I was sort of thinking, you know, how messed up do we need to be as humans to be able to put, you know, like basically um, kill one animal and put it in, you know, and and package it for another animal. Like, you know, we we live in a a world where animals can eat each other if they want to kind of thing. So it was was interesting, but then, like, I had sort of like meta-realization that maybe I'm just thinking too much. And, you know... (laughs) (laughs) I actually am having a similar realization about your thinking now. (laughs) And so, but the thing was that essentially going into, like, that was a library moment for me because I was like, you know, I was doing all of this mindless work and I was paying the bills, but it wasn't something that I was feeling fulfilled by. Mm. And I didn't think that I was, you know, like utilizing my own personal potential. So well, the fact that you were thinking at that level of cognition makes me think that you were wasted talent in a BP. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally felt that. And so I said, well, okay, I'm going to do something different about this. And I started volunteering. I volunteered for um, a lot of different organizations. I was working for a climate change organization called AYCC. Oh, which, I know them well. Yeah. Um, and, the you Youth know, Climate Council? Yeah, Youth Climate uh, Coalition. They're Coalition. based here in Melbourne. But I was um, running their New South Wales chapter as a, as a volunteer. 
I'm still looking for jobs, but not being successful. Um, so then I decided, look, you know, I'm going to start my own business because that's the only other way that I see, it, you know, getting a decent job that I can yep. employ myself. Um, and also, you know, I was thinking about like being, I was already so socially minded, coming from Pakistan, looking at a lot of social problems and thinking about if I have to start a business, might, might as well do something there. And with my sort of engineering background and climate focus, I wanted to do something in clean tech and renewable energy. And so I applied for this program in Parramatta at this organization called School for Social Entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So they had a program going for young people, helping them, you know, um, launch their own startups um, and social enterprises in particular. And so I participated in that back in 2016. And... Again, had no idea about social enterprises. You know, this it sounds like you know. A, it sounds kind of right because what you were looking for is to start a business, and you're also looking for something that has a social relevance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I just didn't know like about the world of social enterprises at that stage. Mm. And I got in there and I wanted to do this. And, you know, this is sort of like where the sort of that second moment of realization struck that as soon as I started doing research and talking to mentors about my idea about a renewable energy startup, I just realized someone else was already doing it mm. and only started like a few weeks ago. And so, well, I, what Do you mean in the chicken uh, cat food? No, stuff? nothing oh, to do with chickens. Um, so my idea at that time was that I basically um, sort of realized, again, this was, you know, back in 2016, we just got rid of uh, carbon tax and, you know, like all this sort of stuff was happening. Where, ah, the momentum of the Gillard sort yeah, of things. Yeah, and, and things were moving away, actually, um, you know, with, with government, everything, you know, moving away from climate action, actually, after mm -hmm. doing a lot of good stuff. And so one of the things that I was thinking was, hey, renewable energy and clean tech is becoming cheaper. So why don't we work on helping people start renewable energy businesses, uh, particularly, you know, people who are interested in solar and, and you know, so on. And and I realized that, that when after doing research, there's another organization called Energy Lab that was yep. being set up at the time. Um, and so I basically literally just took my business plan or my ideas and just forwarded it to the Energy Lab team. It was like, you guys are already doing it. You already got some partnerships. You're doing well. There's no need for me to reinvent the wheel. So I'm just going to let you do it. And I'll, you know, work on something else and basically got back to ground zero and was thinking about, okay, you know, what do I do now? Hold on. Let me stop you there. So after you sent that email, did, uh, did they write back? Well, not, not, not for a while, sure. um, but obviously, you know, like they were just setting up and they're doing a lot of their work. Yep. Um, but at, I was still part of this program and I was learning from different mentors and, you know, meeting different people. And one of the things that I like, this really good advice that I got from one of the mentors was, hey, why don't you try and solve a problem that you've personally faced? Oh, yeah. Um, and so for me, this was this thing of, okay, so I come from a migrant background. I have, I'm skilled and I'm qualified and I'm educated, but I still can't seem to find work. Um, and, you know, I, and that's the reason why I decided to start a business and I am a part of this incubator program. So wouldn't it be cool if we started an incubator program that was specifically focused on migrants? That's very interesting to me because that sounds like a bit of a switch where you were looking around for like, what problem do I solve? But then you turn inward. And then that's, that's the problem to look at. Is that kind of how it played out for you a bit? Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. And, and the other good thing that happened was, and this is, you know, one of those things where you like, you know, it's like a, a sort of fairy tale situation where, um, there's another person in the cohort, um, Jake Muller, who is my co-founder now. Um, he was actually, he's sort of disenfranchised accountant, worked in Sydney, then just realized that he wasn't, didn't want to do, you know, work in accounting, uh, went off to Bangladesh and worked in Mohammed Yunus's sort of Yunus center down in Bangladesh on microfinance, and then was recently returned, uh, to Australia and look and thinking about, well, he wanted to start something in Australia is interested in knowing, you know, what's out there. Um, and like, you know, he wanted to help people, particularly disadvantaged uh, communities. Uh, he had previously worked with uh, some local migrant resource centers. Um, and so he had those relationships and he also had some experience with, you know, like business, obviously he had a, an accounting background. And so 
he actually um, sort of came up with this idea for us to sort of work together and then basically developed a pro program, which was our pilot um, in partnership with a local uh, organization, a community migrant resource center in Parramatta. We got like a very tiny amount of funding and we basically launched our pilot. Absolutely had, we had no idea at that time mm. of what we were doing, but it was just one of those things where we were like, you know, we might as well just try and see what happens. So we took 10 people in to our first pilot program ran it for uh, two months and, you know, just like had workshops and called, called a lot of people in local business area and said, hey, would you come and deliver a masterclass on business modeling, whatever it is, right, um, and mentoring and actually had some really good results because a lot of people wanted to help. Mm. Um, and that sort of led to actually as a part of the program, three people launched a business. Wow. Um, out, out, out of, out of 10. 10. That's incredible. Um, and they're still running today. That's that's amazing. Um, and so for us, it was like, wow, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. But for a lot of these people, they just needed a tiny bit of a, you know, um, a push up or a leg up. And so like, what would it look like if we did it properly? So then I went and did a lot of the programs and, you know, you can look at my profile and you'll find like a million no, programs. I, that I just done. advise you, be careful with looking at uh, Usman's LinkedIn profile. If you ever <laughs> want to be intimidated out of having a guest on your podcast, he's got an awards section he's done so much. So um, I congratulate you on all that you've achieved because you, you. you truly have made a remarkable contribution. So um, it's very interesting how it's all come about. Maybe a good place to start is the concept of micropreneurship. Is it what it sounds like? Is it just migrants doing entrepreneurship? Yeah. So this is a this is a term that we coined. Um, this you know didn't used to exist previously, mm. and and basically we said that I mean in Australia there are and so so we one of our partners is IAG um, and this sort of like business brand or insurance brand called CGU Insurance, mm-hmm. and they did the study. Um, looking at, you know, how many businesses in Australia are basically run by migrants. And so what they found was that in Australia, like one third of Australian small businesses are run by first generation migrants. Well, that fits in nicely with your statistic. Absolutely, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and this is massive. But I guess the other thing that they found, which is super interesting, was that 83% of these business owners did not have a business in their own country, right? So they knew, like they're kind of entrepreneurs. The f- yeah, yeah, the entrepreneurs, they're just the first time starting out. First time founders. Uh, which is incredible, right? And so and also in the sort of tech startup space, what we... Um, and there's another survey from Startup Master that found 40% uh, of, you know, tech startup founders in Australia also come from first-generation migrant background, right? So this is huge. This is. Do you think they have hustle in their blood? Uh, I think I think so. And I think part of that is because, you know, think about, like, if you have to leave your own country, whatever the sort of circumstances mm-hmm. are, and create a new life, you're almost starting from scratch. You do have that beginner's mind. You know, you have you everything. You're not making a lot of assumptions, yep. you know, because you, like, you learn every day. Yep. And, and you spot gaps. You see opportunities that other wise people might not. And you also have more resilience as well, mm. because think about, you know, the people who decide to move their life from one continent to another continent generally are the ones who are a lot more resilient and a lot more well, resourceful. I think they face a lot more problems. They've been rejected a lot more inherently by both their probably home and new culture that they come to. So I think that's very, very uh, meaningful in the journey. And probably, you know, I, I want to just turn that back to you. I mean, that seems to me like an outstanding place to come from if you want to see opportunity. Where there's so much we can learn from that as people who maybe myself not being a first generation migrant, to sort of take that lesson of looking at everything with beginner's mind and sort of seeing everything as opportunity. Is that something you try and sort of teach through your work as well? Absolutely, hundred percent. And I think I, I mean, 
I teach less and I sort of get lessons from other people more often than yeah. not, right? It's one of those things where like I get constantly surprised and I'm in all, all the people that I work with because, you know, we have had people from like 40 plus different countries that we work with so far and, and the sort of insights that they bring or the ideas that they bring are so amazing and, and sometimes they're so obvious, but no one's doing them. So I'll just give you an example. One of our um, companies that, that we supported back in 2018 is called The Pluralist um, and, and what this, uh, one of the founders, Mahib, what he did was he basically um, sort of realized this thing, which I don't know if anyone else in the world has realized, um, and that was that um, in, in like when he was looking at sort of wristwatches, and this is your old school, you know, wristwatches. All the wristwatches that he was looking at either were Roman numerals one, two, three, you know, like the usual stuff, um, but nothing in any other language. And mm. his sort of thing was, well, you know, why we have so many different languages? Why don't we have scripts um, in different languages? So why don't we have something for Mandarin or Hindi or something else? And and he was like, you know, he, he started something uh, called Pluralist, which was this sort of idea of like thinking of pluralism and getting different, I guess, um, people to think about like, you know, a lot of the things that we take for granted. Um, and so he has watches that are now in, you know, like I see, you know, Japanese, they're in Arabic in different languages. And and I haven't seen any other watch in any other country that is. That's pretty incredible. That um, so that's, and, and that's also a social enterprise, by the way. So they give part of their profits away to um, not-for-profits. Why is it important for you to be a social enterprise and why is it important? important for you to help create more migrant-led social enterprises? So, uh, I mean, for me personally, uh, the reason why I think it's really important is because, so I mean, you know, traditionally you've had business on one side, which is, you know, just a shareholder supremacy, shareholder makes all the money. And then on the other side, you've got the not-for-profit, the traditional sectors, which are often just only re- reliant on grants and, you know, it's very hard to sustain. And so I think social enterprise is sort of that, in a way, best of both worlds uh, right now anyway, where, you know, you have something that is so socially driven, that has a purpose, that is the reason why you get out of bed in the morning, right? Um, and you doing something you're giving back and you're contributing but at the same time it's something that can sustain itself so that's the reason why i believe in social enterprise personally and then also i think um that's like both the training that we talk about but at the same time a lot of the people that we support um they have even if they recognize it or not even if they use the same terminology they still have ideas that have a social environmental purpose mm. because one of the core things that we talk about whether it's on a program or it's generally anyone that i'm talking to who wants to start something is Hey, try and think about solving a problem, right? Um, and again, going back to the same advice that I got, which is a problem that you faced. And for a lot of migrants, unfortunately, they have faced some social, environmental, political problems. Um, they're really tough problems that they're trying to solve mm. um, through their work um, or something that, you know, they want to make, uh, you know, a better change in the world. And so that's where, you know, social enterprise comes in. But I mean, it's interesting to me because you would think in some way, just as an observer, that migrants face so much hardship both um, abroad and the new country they come to. How what the hell are they still wanting to do good with their heart, mind, and through a business as well? Could you couldn't they just be forgiven for wanting to go off and make as much money as possible, and you know really spit in the face of everyone who's done them wrong over that period? Well, there's nothing wrong with it, right? So I'm not saying that making money is wrong, uh, but I think that like. Uh, what we what we are trying to do ourselves, but also I think there's a there's a growing number of people who genuinely care. And I think when you look at, I mean, even like in the last you know few weeks, what's happening around the globe, there's so many problems that we're facing. Right? There's so many things that like we're asking questions. Mm. And I think there is just like a shared recognition, not just for migrant-owned businesses, but just generally businesses as a, as a whole. Like, what is the sort of purpose and role of business in yeah. society? And I think more people are like talking about, you know, we need to have a social purpose. We need to have um, a way 
need that we are actually making the community and, and the world a better place. I think so. And I think in terms of turmoil, you see that as well. You know, it's been such a crazy period of time um, with the bushfires, COVID, the United States just no longer being really the global leader in any meaningful way that people, you know, come to that sort of question about what is the purpose? What's the why behind why we do things? And is there a more meaningful role that business can play in reshaping a, a better society? And I think I, I get very excited when I see what you're doing at Catalyzer as sort of like a, a case study in that. Um, what's a pre-accelerator? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally going through like everything that you say that you do and I'm like, what does this mean? What does that mean? I, I feel like a real amateur even in my own kind of field. But I mean, I think what you're doing is simple on one level, but like it's got a level of complexity too. So um, indulge me in trying to just ask no, basic no, questions. Absolutely. And uh, the reason why I'm laughing is not because of that. It's just because, <laughs> I mean, I think this is something that, you know, this terminologies are used everywhere and we just take them for granted. Oh, it's so much um, in the startup sector to have like words for everything. It's 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 hilarious. <laughs> absolutely. And, you, you know, you're like, what are all these things that people are talking about? Yep. It's not English. But um, so, I mean, you know, we call ourselves an incubator in the beginning. Now we call ourselves pre-accelerator. But basically, essentially what we're trying to do is we're taking people who have an idea to start a business um, and particularly a startup um, that they want to grow and that is something that can scale um, and then we want to help them to both think about that idea so there's the ideation bit where they actually go and talk to a lot of people try to figure out like you know is the problem that they think they want to solve a real problem they're trying to solve um, you know have is there a market need for it as well? Um, and then they basically build something like a prototype or a proof of concept that they can again test and, and see if someone's willing to pay for it, right? So so the pre-accelerator is something that basically comes at that early, super early stage where people are building something and taking an idea and converting it into a business opportunity. So are you playing in the ideation space more? Absolutely. Okay. That was really simple. That was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I just had to come to terms with the, it, it's pre-accelerator, it's before accelerator. Ah, light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah, but but essentially, and that's that's the thing, right? The reason why we call ourselves pre-accelerator again is because um, like after people finish the programs with us, we sort of send them into the startup in the social enterprise ecosystem yeah. so they can actually go into a lot of accelerators that are out there. And so they already have a product in the market. They already have something they're doing. Then those organizations can then help them grow and scale that. Um, and so that's that's a distinct, sort of distinction. So you can call ourselves an incubator. You can call ourselves like an idea generator. There's like a million different names. When I was in school, uh, I think in year four, we got given chickens and we got given an, a little chicks and we got given an incubator to keep them warm and help them grow. And so I always just think it's funny the way we take words and then we shift them to a different context. So even now, whenever someone says incubator, I think of like little chick chickens just hatching and then growing. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, anyway, pivoting from my insanity to more meaningful topics. Um, uh, let's talk about for you what it's like to be a young leader. I mean, there, there are challenges around doing a lot as a young man. I think you've achieved so much in a really short time frame and you are young, like very young, um, compared certainly to what you've achieved. But you also, you know, come from a migrant background. You're a Pakistani man. You're not completely white, which people obviously see when they see you speak. So what I mean, how are you perceived and kind of how does that challenge your own perception of leadership and how you act to sort of create that gravitas you need to succeed? I think it's a great question and I don't know if I have a, a really good answer. So like I, I'm sort I just of thinking want your experience out, Absolutely. So yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking a lot here. But essentially what I found is I think when you're, when you're a young person, oftentimes people don't take you as seriously as they would otherwise, you know. Uh, I mean, part of that is okay because, you know, yes, like particularly in business, if you don't have the experience, sometimes you just don't know because you are starting out. But I think 
the biggest benefit you have of being young and like for other people who might consider it as a weakness of being naive or immature is that you can spot opportunities that other people don't see, right? There's a lot of experts in, in different areas who see something and, you know, see a certain way that things have always been done. But if you're a young person, if you look at something and you can always see, you know, okay, maybe we can do this thing differently. And I think that the way I mean, I've personally sort of never thought about me being a young person in that context. And I've always said, you know, okay, this is a problem. And I mean, again, this is sort of my engineering training. Um, and, you know, I want to come up with a solution and solve it, right? And what I've found is personally, I think, uh, I mean, there's a bigger recognition now of, um, you know, when someone has a good idea and when they're, when they're actually doing something that's working, there's a lot more people that are willing to listen. Maybe not at the beginning, but eventually they are. So we've been also pretty uh, lucky in a way that, uh, I mean, we got supported by the Foundation for Young Australians, which again is another amazing organization here in Melbourne that Incredible. does fantastic work. Shout out to Jen Owen and uh, other current leaders of FYA. Absolutely. Yeah. So FYA has been phenomenal and in our journey. So I was involved in their uh, Young Social Pioneers program. This was back in 2016. Uh, so you're of that ilk. Yeah. Terrific. Absolutely. And so basically, I think one of the things that I learned there was that because I was with a lot of young leaders, they all, you know, had, I mean, confidence and personality and like had all these amazing ideas uh, that helped you have the sort of right kind of community. And then once you know that, you know, this is an experience that's not just for you, it's for a lot of other people, then it becomes a lot more comfortable. So is this like a kind of thread where it's um, being surrounded by people with similarly positive attitudes that are problem solving and also maybe taking from the group that idea that attitude determines altitude in a way. So you, you can only go so far as those around you kind of can envision and see and maybe you were sort of feeding off that somewhat. Absolutely, hundred percent, and I think and contributing to that, I should say. Yeah, and 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 I guess the sort of second part to or second part of your question around being migrant, mm. and I think that is definitely hard, right? And like it's just things like you go in a conversation and you're in a room of executives, and they're like, "Yeah, you speak amazing English." Well, you know, <laughs> you oh know, God. sort of things like that. But yeah. uh, this the sort of uh, sort of my response to that is, I think. I am, I'm very willing to change people's perceptions. Um, and I'm, you know, like, um, my goal is, you know, because I mean, especially from the work that I'm doing is that I'm constantly highlighting, you know, that there's always, you know, uh, a whole bunch of other sort of like parts of the story. You know, there's a lot more depth to when you're talking about people and you can't just box people into a particular sort of thing. You're like, okay, this person's a migrant or, you know, is young or whatever the sort of different things you want to put on people. I think we are very reductionist when we talk about some of yes. this stuff. Um, and, and I mean, it's easy, you know, like when you think about it, because we don't have to think hard and we can just like engage our biases and that gets the job done on a day-to-day basis. But I think it really does a disservice for a lot of good people who are otherwise amazing. And we've seen, you know, countless examples of that here in Australia as well. There's a lot of good young people, good people, you know, of color who have suffered for just even speaking out things that, you know, someone who otherwise wouldn't have been a people of color would have faced. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, um, so I don't want to go on about different things but what i do want to say is that like i mean we're looking at this globally this is a sort of issue of racism is coming up yeah i think we do have that here as well it's it's very entrenched right um now we've got to recognize it and we've got to understand that you know we have to deal with it right there's different ways in which you deal with it but i think it's really important um that i mean there's you know there's sort of like more more obvious ones there's stuff that you see on the buses to like you know there's a lot of stuff that you know just like more casual stuff and systemic and i think that there's stuff that we have to do to deal with it i have have personally been I feel really privileged and lucky that I have been afforded a lot of the opportunities um n- not just because um 
I'm young or a migrant, um, like I haven't been sort of kept away from a lot of opportunities because I'm a young person or a migrant, but oftentimes I've sort of taken advantage of my identity mm-hmm. as a young person mm-hmm. or as a migrant and have leapt into those opportunities. And sometimes, you know, like because you're telling a compelling story and you're saying, you know, okay, well, you might think that we belong in this box, but maybe we can do this and this too. Uh, oftentimes people get surprised and they want to give you benefit of their doubt. So I always want to challenge people's assumptions, um, both in business, but also in life, because I think it's a good exercise and I think it just helps us um, come back to sort of, um, I guess, looking inwards and looking at our own biases and how can we be less biased and I guess be more empathetic and kind to each other. That is such a good summary. It, it sort of leaves me with a difficult decision of where to sort of jump in. But um, maybe I'll just go beyond that first and then come back to it. Was there a tipping point for you? Because often with young leaders, there's a point where you're talking a lot, but no one's listening. And then you can sort of slowly talk less and less because people are listening more and more to you and giving you that audience. Was there sort of a moment in you um, creating Catalyzer that you can reflect on? Well, I mean, I guess there's one specific point which has significantly changed that. And again, this is like talking about awards and stuff. So um, like I was very privileged. And again, this is, I, I would call it luck uh, because there's definitely a lot of luck involved to become the Commonwealth a Young Person of the Year back in 2018, which is basically out of like 1.4 billion people living in like 53 Commonwealth countries. So you think about it, like my, my, my I'm below. just amazed that the Commonwealth is that big. I was like, I just had to do a little head check. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when you think of Commonwealth, oftentimes it's like you think of the UK or Australia, but there's Hong Kong, Canada. Uh, you know, a yeah. lot of a lot of other countries. And so, um, yeah, so it was really privileged to sort of get recognized recognize that global stage um and i think that once that happened uh it's it's like you know then then like things change we got automatically every place that i went to whether that's a boardroom whether i'm talking to investors whether i'm talking to you know corporates it was a very different reception so i think like i see that happening and i think it's I mean, I've sort of heard this term previously called super credibility, where I think you need yes. to do something um, significantly impressive for people to then take you, um, you know, more seriously and believe what you have to do. So if Elon Musk says that he's going to launch something, you know, into space, um, you know, like people will believe me if I say something. Or, or, or if he says the stock price is too high. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> but so, I mean, but that to me is is quite a, an interesting concept in itself. That the you know, like you kind of. You're the same person, you're saying the same things, but by a fluke of chance or some kind of black swan event, whatever, you know, it probably wasn't that much luck. But anyway, the way you tell the story, all of a sudden everyone's listening. Is that Was that weird for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, but I think it's... It's one of those things, I mean, when you talk about luck and all of that stuff, I think you have to put yourself in those positions yeah. over and over 100%. again. And eventually you get lucky. That's why I don't call it or I don't I don't believe you when you say completely that it's luck. I think you're being a bit humble. But you did all the right things to put yourself in a situation where you could be successful. And although the probability was maybe very low, you were. So that's, that's amazing. Um, but it is interesting. It, it sort of takes you back to that place where is it, do you have to be the right identity of the speaker to have the thought? And, you know, maybe that ties into a bit, a bit about what you're saying about credibility. Like maybe if you had some of the ideas earlier, but you hadn't had that platform, it might have been challenging. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think there's another aspect of this, which is, um, and this is sort of like in the same way where, you know, like if you just come up with a business idea and you want to go and raise $10 million, you know, it's very hard for people to give you that money. But at the same time, if you build something and you're at the right stage, you might sort of ask for that money. So I guess it's the sort of same way, you know, like how much credibility you have or what you've done to demonstrate that you can actually do something yeah. will mean that you can have a different sort of level of conversation, right? So, yeah, sorry, go on. So, for example, if you are in, 
um, you know, like, you know, like initially when we were talking about it, I was saying, you know, like we want to do something invest in Sydney. Um, now what we talk about impact, we think global, right? So, but we can have that conversation now, but if we from day one said, Hey, we want to do this global, blah, blah, blah. No one would take us seriously because they'll say, you know, you haven't done anything. What gives you the right to sort of talk about that? And so I think it's part of this is, um, I, I mean, I would say uh, that credibility is earned and there's a lot of different ways in which you can do that. Right. So, uh, but I, I still do, th- I still think that you have to be lucky. Like there's definitely a, a strong element of luck involved if you don't have that luck it's pretty hard so now that you're in a position where you can exercise greater global impact for the the course of catalyzer um how are you doing it i mean is it just a matter of you being the best um, ceo of catalyzer you can be um is it a matter of doing things outside of catalyzer to sort of build profile for micropreneurs i'm interested what what sort of happens next that is a great question. And this is something that I'm sort of been thinking about and working on for the last sort of six months now. And so something that, I mean, as I said, when I started, I was thinking of migration from like a very sort of small lens of Australia and then particularly looking at, you know, what's happening, um, you know, here with like unemployment and sort of underemployment sort of situation. And, and again, it was initially just a job that I was trying to create for myself. Uh, but I think now like the way that I'm thinking about is I'm trying to sort of like think globally and try to, and so one of the organizations that I, again, got a chance to be involved with was Singularity University in the US. Oh, wow. Um, and I did this sort of program called Global Solutions Program uh, back in 2017. Is that and, Pete Diamandis? Yeah, Pete yeah, Diamandis yeah, yep. and, and Ray and And basically one of the things that I like got learned from some amazing people there that, you know, they were trying to think of like, how do you help a billion people, right? Um, and so just really having that big mindset. And, and I think some of the things that I sort of took away from that was, you know, like, um, what are the what are the global problems that we have right now that some of the people are not even thinking about that I can focus on? Um, and that sort of gives my life that purpose that we yep. talk about. And so after reflection, the two things that I'm sort of combining, the two of my passions is sort of like this migration aspect and also the climate aspect and thinking of the climate migration. So you're still on climate. That's still very yeah. important to you. Um, and, 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 but I'm thinking more like, you know, the sort of like mass migration that will be induced due to climate change. And I think this is something that a lot of us are just not talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a research uh, that was done by Cornell University in the US that found um, that we might have up to 2 billion sort of climate refugees or migrants mm. uh, by 2100. When you think about it, that's a staggering number. That's, that's crazy. 20% of the world population. Yeah. Um, and so like what I'm thinking about is at the moment is like how can we so as a world we have about 20 million refugees right now about 250 million um sort of immigrants everywhere and i think that like we're not prepared even at this stage to deal with that sort of scenario right now and so when you think about 10xing that or 100xing that and um, how the hell are we going to solve those problems so so um, you're going exp- you're really taking on some exponentially challenging problems absolutely but uh, the other thing that I sort of realized was that again, we when we launched in 2016, I was just doing it because just to create my own job. But what I didn't realize was that we were part of a global movement that was sort of being shaped at that time. And so, um, in um, basically last year around October timeframe, I spoke at a conference in the UK um, by organized by this organization called uh, Center for Entrepreneurs, and they did a study on sort of refugee migrant entrepreneurship globally. And they found that there's like, you know, 30, 40 different uh, organizations like us that exist everywhere um, and that are doing similar kind of work that Catalyzer. I was, you know, like pretty humble to find that, you know, at least half of them are the ones that like we've personally supported. And so people have reached out to us over years and said, hey, you know, how do you run this program? We found you on the internet. Um, can you give us your curriculum? Can you tell us how you do this, et cetera? And so we've been really sort of, um, you know, part of the sort of early movement building. And now it's becoming like the whole refugee migrant entrepreneurship is becoming a whole a movement in itself, um, which is really interesting. 
and there's uh there's you know you you would have come across with with um social impact investing there's like whole gender lens investing now there's a whole refugee lens investing um yep. space as well but in the US and so sort of my next step uh, immediate next step is I am actually doing a course in Melbourne Uni um trying to figure out how do I set up a, a VC fund because we want to invest in some of the startups that we have that are coming through and also looking at scaling our program nationally first and then internationally so so that's um, actually quite exciting is there a call to action to come out of this for well, any listeners uh, at the moment I mean I would say definitely just keep uh, an eye out on Catalyzer our website um and like super near term you can so we've got a demo day coming up for our melbourne program the first program we ran here in melbourne um on the 29th of june so they can just go and, and check it out and and see what are some of the startups that are coming up but really like you know what i'm thinking about is like how do you sort of catalyze that global movement of migrant entrepreneurship um that's really exciting and i think it's so systemic and it, it's about investment it's, it's large scale what about the average listener to this podcast? You know, if, we, if they wanted to support what you're doing and to support migrants in their local community who have businesses or whatnot, what can they do? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, right? So on an individual level, you can, when you know there's a migrant business uh, or a business run by a migrant, you can buy from them. You know, you should be buying from your local business these days, especially anyway, because there's a lot of local businesses that have suffered due to COVID-19. So that's that's one thing that I would say, buy from them. Like the biggest thing you can do is be a customer. Uh, beyond that, I think you can be a supporter. You can sort of share with your friends, family, you know, like the the products and, and you know, whatever else that they're offering. You, If you're interested and if you have the money, you can also become an investor as well. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that that I mean, sort of, we've we found with research is um, just like with women, you know, like people of color and migrants in particular often find it hard to get the sort of investment as well because they don't meet meet all the sort of pattern recognition of different investors and there's a lot of biases and so you know, like there's a lot of these things that you could be doing um, that that could support you know your local business owner. That's a great answer. I'm going to ask you a question that isn't traditionally covered off quickly, but I'm going to ask you to cover it um, in reasonable pace. What sort of impact are your micropreneurs having? I guess if you can give maybe some statistics, but also maybe one case study or story. This is, you know, this is so hard. It's like, you know, like <laughs> deciding on who your favorite, who's your favorite child kind of a quick question. would never ask you to um, choose your favorite child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have, I mean, like, uh, so so far, we support about 270 micropreneurs in sort of four years' time, and they've uh, launched about 110 ventures. Um, and there's another sort of 70 that are going through our program right now, and we want to double this next year. Um, so like we are sort of growing that exponential rate in terms of case studies there's so many amazing case studies of people that have both like added economic value to australia right now but then also doing something like absolutely incredible so i'll give you an example of something that is very recent actually so we've got a startup called spiral blue that we supported in 2018 and and the co-founder tofik haki is from bangladesh um and and um so he's he's a he's a rocket scientist basically um and he um he's he with this co-founder has developed this um hardware that basically improves the processing capability of satellites about 20 times so this is incredible because it really saves a lot of money for satellites and they got some funding from the Wales government um uh, last year and now they recently got a, a partnership with a, a sort of space company to launch on the um, the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket um, wow. in, in December 2019. So, this, oh, 2020, sorry. And so, this is, um, you know, this is going to be huge. That, like, you know, one of our local entrepreneurs is actually going to launch something to space. That is, um, that is adequate. That's a far better case study than I could have ever hoped for or imagined. Thank you. 
Um, and, 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 and I mean, like they're also like working on maritime piracy and a whole bunch of stuff with defense as well. So they, as like a small startup are doing this, but they, again, they still have a social enterprise of that giving back mindset. So Tofik, for example, went to Bangladesh back home and was like, went to one of the local universities and was talking about space and was talking about UN sustainable development goals and how like, um, you know, a country like Bangladesh can use space technology, particularly now that it's becoming cheaper and cheaper for improving agriculture yield and protecting us climate change. Um, and and so he wants to do some of the work, which is sort of more commercially driven to then support some of this stuff in like uh, helping, you know, uh, uh, sort of universities and sort of institutions in Bangladesh, particularly young people in terms of thinking about space and, and getting involved in solving some sort of tough challenges. That is incredible. Thank you so much for making such a like, you know, concise but meaningful example. That was amazing. Um I want to ask a bit about you and sort of how you look after yourself because I think you're an incredibly like um, inspiring guy with bubbling with energy. I mean, sort of just being around you, you're inspiring. How do you kind of manage to make time for yourself, switch off, reconnect, focus on your well-being? Um, do you have any sort of insights around that or advice from your own experience? So this has been, I mean, this has been a sort of very hard learning for me. Like, as I said, when I started, uh, I was basically working seven days a week definitely not recommended um there's a lot of again mentors that are telling me hey slow down you're gonna burn out but you know it's one of those things when you start you just don't listen and you're like you believe you're you know you can <laughs> you can basically get away with it when you can't your body sort of catches up to you so i um sort of faced burnout in 2018 it was pretty hard and you know then I, that i had to take a break for like at least a month and just you know sort of reconfigure and get back into it and i would say that that's something that i've since then i've learned the lesson that i need to take a break I, I make sure that I, I mean, uh, for the last sort of couple of years at least, I've been taking at least a Sunday off. So that's one thing that I've said, Sundays are sacred. I'm going to meet with um, friends, hang out, you know, read a book, whatever. I'm not going to schedule a meeting. I'm not going to do any work, not even let anything seep in. From this year onwards, I've actually take, taken the whole weekend. Um, so I also got... Um, married last year um and so congratulations thank you and so my partner has also you know been been really good at you know keeping me in check as well which Partners i think is good uh, like that right super important <laughs> right because you know it's one of those things like you often don't take care of yourself particularly when you're a social entrepreneur mm. who you know who sees all these problems and want to do a lot but you know like it's genuinely true that this is a marathon, right? This is not a sprint. Yep. So you have to be taking care of yourself for the long term. Um, and so it's doing that, you know, reading, going out with friends, um, you know, watching, even watching Netflix and doing like things that are mindless, I think is super, super important. And so like I try and like actually clock out of work at a reasonable hour and, and you know, just like uh, spend time with friends and do like, you know, some 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 sort of basic things as well. Um, and I think it's really important. I also meditate as well. I found meditation to be really, really helpful. Um, and and again, it's one of those things that I like. I try to do it regularly, but sometimes I'm better at it. Sometimes I'm worse. And then, um, like this is something that I've also been doing recently is like exercising. I, I've sort of found that sort of physical exercise really helps with like your mind as well. Yeah. Uh, particularly right now when we've all been sort of stuck at home. Um, and I I personally found it really challenging with my own personal mental health. Uh, you know, just being stuck at home and not being able to go oh, out. It's, and it's do been stuff. awful. Um, and so. Uh, it's it's like it's just basically you know I've had to spend more time on my mental health and knowing that the work is still going to be there when you come back right so I think this is something that like particularly when you're starting something new you sort of face this sort of fear okay you know what if I don't do this today or, or you know like what if I don't do this within the hour yes there are some sort of like hard deadlines but there's a lot of things I can wait till tomorrow and I think that I've sort of learned to you know control myself and be a bit more disciplined about you know basically making time for life as well and not just spending all time at work. 
That's a terrific answer. Usman, it's been such an honor having you here. I've really loved every minute of it, and I, I feel inspired and full, full of energy just sitting across from you. Um, how can people sort of connect with you and learn a bit more about your work if they want to do so? Well, I mean, you can um, visit the Catalyzer website, so you can go to Catalyzer, but it's spelt differently because we couldn't get the trademark. So it's <laughs> C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-R.com.au. And then you can also um, connect with me on LinkedIn if you like. Um, and I'm very happy to sort of share any resources if you're after. Uh, but I think like a lot of the work that we do is in the sort of public domain. So you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can find online generally. Uh, and there's some really good like resources. If people are interested in social enterprise and like that kind of stuff, there's um, Social Change Central that I um, highly recommend people to sort of sign up to Social Change Central because it has a lot of really, really great resource. resources. Shout out to um, Jay Lennon and uh, Jay Borkin and Ann Lennon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the JJ has been amazing. Champion. Um, and then, and like they've got the, they also set up the social enterprise Australia Facebook group, which again you can connect with a whole bunch of people there. Um, so there's things like that. And then I would say, you know, like the obvious one, listen to um, your podcast, I'll stop. which has I mean, amazing stories. Uh, and I really do want to thank you, right? I think it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank oh, you for having me. They're probably all just your mates and your cohort from YSP. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Osman. Much appreciated, mate. Thank you, thank you. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.